Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Here, let me again encourage you listeners to consider donating to our efforts through our Patreon account. There'll be the link for that in the show notes. Relatedly, we received a a question from one of our Patreon subscribers. So I'll read it in whole, and then I'll go about giving my opinion in an answer. Here's the question. A common view is that in high-stress violent situations, such as ambushes or sudden attacks, fine motor skills are highly compromised. Most martial arts, and Aikido especially, seem to rely on pretty advanced techniques. That makes some practitioners question the usefulness of martial arts in these extreme situations and opt instead for simpler, more intuitive approaches to self-defense. For example, weaponizing the flinch as is done in the spear system. What would be your opinion on this? More broadly, would you think that Aikido is martially viable in all areas of self-defense? Or would you incorporate non-Aikido elements in training? Or perhaps it's all the same thing when you reach a certain level. I would imagine in answering this question, the listener is going to see that I am going to come from an entirely different position and understanding as I've done pretty much every episode. And like our videos are on YouTube and on Facebook, everything is just a little bit different to a lot different. And really that depends on the viewer. Like there's plenty of viewers that will watch a video and go, oh, that's exactly what I do, or that's what my, my shihan does, and in truth, it's not. Relatedly, recently, I, I posted a question on our Facebook page, which has almost 8,000 followers. And th- this is just a business page, right? Um, it's not a group page like the Aikido group on Facebook. And I just asked people, hey, can you provide me uh, using any understanding that you might have an example of your shihan or a shihan or better yet, you yourself doing the internal aspects of the art? Of course, there was no video of one of the followers. And what people did present was one of the Japanese shihan. There was only a few, though, too. And when you looked at the video, you could see, uh, and if you read the descriptions on, on how I addressed each video, that they just do not do, do not know, the internal aspects of the art. And what has come in place, though, is uh, 
um, antithetical understandings of those aspects. So in essence, just external understandings of the art. But if you don't have the eye with which to see the difference, it's important to you in some ways, but I think it goes deeper than that. I think it goes down to the level of cognitive ability. You just don't see the difference. So following that post, I, I gave three videos where I provided timestamps and pointed out exactly what one was seeing and thereby making it easier to note this is all external stuff. And what you need to understand from that is that's just one aspect of the art. And I would say of the two aspects, the internal and the external aspect, why there is a, a aim towards integration, without the internal aspect, the external aspect is just totally inferior. But to the viewer of these videos, of let's say our videos, all they see is an Aikido that they already do. This explains how we are in a crisis, because a crisis in, uh, to the level of an entire Aikido community, which is we have not only uh, not doing what the founder did, but not even knowing we're not doing what the founder did. That's the level of crisis. For that kind of crisis to show up, it's not going to be a bunch of fringe people that are just terrible at Aikido. No, it's going to be at the highest levels. Uh, and it's going to have the highest moral good to it. And it's going to be the, the definition for what is considered skilled. That's how you get in these kind of cri this kind of level of a crisis. And that's why the videos I did the criticism on were, they're all shihan. They're emblematic of the crisis itself. So here, again, um, in the same way that people have different, under, different and incorrect understandings of what is the internal, um, here I think we're going to see that I have a different understanding of some of the key concepts in the question. And that I'm going to, as in other cases, just refer to the original understanding of Aikido and of Budo. So let's start with a simple one. Let's start with fine motor skills. In the internet martial arts community today, um, but I would, I would just go in, in the public awareness because I see it too in law enforcement. It's in military training, etc. cetera. Uh, fine motor skills is, has come to mean one thing which originally did not mean and has, in the incorrect understanding of it, come to justify all kinds of positions um, that are proposed as solutions to false problems. So if you go down 
and you track down the original science for what is a fine motor skill, it is not equivalent to uh, small muscle groups or small movements, etc. In particular, it was about the a pincher ability, the ability to touch your fingertips to each other, and in particular your index finger and your thumb. That's entirely different from moving your finger. So by the original definition, uh, pulling the trigger, which involves no pincher movement, no touching of the tips of two digits together, that is not a fine motor skill, although it uses uh, a single digit, a small limb, involves small muscle groups. It's still not a fine motor skill. There's a trainer in law enforcement, uh, Dave Spaulding. He's been training for a long time. And he kind of makes a point of correcting this mistake. As I said, it's, it's gotten into law enforcement. And for example, it's been the justification uh, for, let's say, why you should do the power stroke method of returning your slide into battery as opposed to using your either your strong side thumb or your support side thumb to release the slide lock lever and send the slide into battery that way. And I know these might be specialized terms to uh, an Aikido listener, but you can easily look these up on, on the internet. So the power stroke method is where you come over the top of the slide and you kind of grip it between your heel palm and the tips of several fingers, your four fingers, and you send the slide back into battery that way. And proponents of this view will say, uh, under stress, you're going to lose fine motor skills, and so you can't use your strong side thumb or your support side thumb. And you should instead use the power stroke method to return your slide into battery. Now, of course, this flies in the face of, um, you know, maybe, maybe over a century now, where um, gunfighters, people that have used guns, uh, pistols in combat, uh, have worked slide lock releases or slide uh, uh, levers on your, either your rifle or your pistol. Um, with the use of their fingers. They just didn't necessarily do a pincher grip, touch the index finger to the thumb tip. And so what Dave uh, says is, look, you, if, if, under, if you're under stress, so you, you have a lot, all that adrenaline dump into your body, you know, adrenaline, adrenaline, it's, it's coursing through your body, you might have a hard time picking up a dime off the street. But you sure as hell can put your thumb tip on it. And it's true. You, you can. Okay. And what the advocacy for the power stroke over using your strong side thumb or your support side thumb is, is ignoring is one, that, that wasn't the science. And then two, for a century or more, people have been using thumb tips and things like that um, to work their pistols. Likewise, too, the same misunderstanding of 
what is a fine motor skill, mistaking it for small limbs moving as opposed to the pincher grip. Uh, it would be hard to explain how in the hell we were pulling the trigger then because pulling the trigger is that small limb movement, yet marksmen have done it under stress for forever. Uh, so two things here. One, the original science did not equate fine motor skills with many of the things that modern people who did not read the original science now come to understand. So again, particularly, it was a pincher grip, a pincher movement. That's a fine motor skill. And then two, um, we see small, move, small movements or small muscle groups being utilized under stress all the time, all the time. So that's the first thing that I, I would point out in this question to know. And uh, the second thing to draw from that is that modern people have a huge misunderstanding of the original science and that they've gone on to justify all kinds of stuff that is just not true as they generate false problems to justify their solutions. Okay? And that's exactly where I would put the spear system in there, this kind of weaponizing of the flinch. So let's talk about the flinch first of all. Again, what, what, does, what does science say is the flinch? Okay. Um, when you look at a flinch, uh, the, the scientific literature for the flinch, it is a kind of uh, unconscious uh, natural act of preservation, okay? Uh, and what it does is that it flexes uh, certain muscle groups unconsciously in a particular way, okay? What way? One, it's going to protect your vitals, okay? And it does this uh, by uh, holding your breath. So you're not going to breathe anything. You're not going to let anything toxic into you um, as you're doing, as you're suffering or you're, you're facing some threat level at the, at the level of personal extinction. Two, you're going to protect your neck area. So your shoulders are going to come up. And three, your arms come in to the front area of your torso area to protect those vitals. So in almost in the same way that knife fighting has your elbows close and and your uh, your the the veins and arteries on your lower arms are in towards your person, not out towards the other person. So you you're trying to cover up your heart, your lungs, etc. So your arms will come in and kind of shield that area, and then two, uh, your legs, um, your knees will lock up. And the reason why it does that is you're going to fall, okay? And falling is nature's way of getting you off the line of attack when you can't get off the line of attack. And all you have to do if you want to see flinch is you can either do this, uh, you can track down the scientific literature. Uh, so you can use their examples. And uh, the flinch response is one of the ways that doctors test the soundness of the neurological system of an infant. So you can go look at videos for 
infant flinch responses and you'll kind of see that so arms will come arms will come in neck goes uh, shoulders go up etc etc or you can watch your your prank videos uh, where you see people startled okay and there especially you can observe how the knees will lock up so that the subject falls down that is what science has noted as a flinch response okay what the spear system has noted as a flinch response is uh, a deepening of your stance so what do we mean by that if you look at that kinesiologically um, you have basically a stabilizing of your equilibrium so you're going to generate a base of support that maintains your line of gravity within it and that is resistant towards energy coming from one way or another. There's a lot of consciousness in that. And it's the exact opposite of your knees locking up so you can fall so you can get out of the way of the line of attack. In, in other words, um, let me go a little bit deeper, um, but still stay at a, at a kind of popular level. So in your, in your brain, um, you have uh, a part of it that's assessing whether you can handle this danger or not. And again, this is very much poetic here, but it simplifies things. So your amygdala is kind of monitoring if you think you can, if, if, if it thinks you can get out of this danger, yes or no, can you handle it, yes or no. And if the stress is so overwhelming that you cannot do it, uh, that's when it's going to do, do this flinch response, okay? And what the flinch response is trying to do, it's nature's way of saving your ass, okay? So imagine you're a pre-modern pre person, you're out in the jungle, and the tiger's going to attack you, and your brain goes, oh, you're, you're freezing, you're froze, and we can't get out of this situation. I got the helm, I'm taking over, it's going to put your limbs to cover your vital areas. It's going to raise your shoulders. You're going to hold your breath. And uh, it's going to lock your knees so you, at least you fall out of the way of the tiger's uh, pounce. And this is the exact opposite of what you see in the spear flinch response. You, you don't have that same disequilibrium that is coming. And you also have... Uh, another level of consciousness or the maintenance of consciousness that you don't have in a flinch response because all of that is unconscious. Here I would put before the listener that these um, strange, really, utilizations of the scientific literature are really... Um, scientistic and scientism which is different from science is an even more egregious manifestation of the ego tripartite mind it it thinks like this it makes sense to it and it will make sense to other ego tripartite minds and this being going back to other podcasts this being the age of the ego tripartite mind, this being Kali Yuga, Mapo, uh, this is going to sound very reasonable.
But if you know what to look for, then you realize it's not so reasonable after all. It's just scientific. It, it, it use, it's using a pseudo-reason that my ego tripartite mind can buy into and solve for problems that don't really exist but are proposed as existing so that, and in this case, so I can buy something. So what you can do then is go on and trace for more evidence of the ego tripartite mind. And you can see, oh, yes, yes, that's, that's what's going on here. Okay. So, for example, oftentimes when the, when the weaponized flinch response is demonstrated, you not only see that adopting of a base of support that is geared towards dynamic equilibrium, but the, the so-called attacker is coming from the front and you put your hands up and you kind of imagine, you know, uh, that you'd be covering up for some sort of attack. Again, the jump already happened there. The jump is, the, that is not the flinch response. We, we're now just calling it the flinch response. Just like working the strong side thumb or the support side thumb and saying that that is a fine motor skill, that, no, that's not correct. That is not correct. Pinching our fingertip and our thumb together, that's a fine motor skill. Pulling the trigger is not a fine motor skill. And therefore, the power stroke method of returning the slide to the battery is not any more viable under stress than these other means of doing so in terms of that science. So here in the spear system, the... Some guy comes at you, either he's tackling or he's throwing a, uh, some haymaker, and you, you basically step into that dynamic equilibrium base, and you put your hands up and you cover, you cover up. That is all a learned response. That is all a maintenance of consciousness. That is not a flinch response. Again, Watch your YouTube videos for your, your pranks your, where they scare people and you're never going to see anyone jump into that stance ever. Now, as the ego tripartite mind is speaking to other ego tripartite minds, what is missed is what if your attacker, let's, so for example, uh, the, the reasoning here, the pseudo-reasoning here, is that you're going to flinch under stress, and so you should weaponize the flinch, and then uh, already I said there's a jump there. You actually have the, the so-called weaponizing of the flinch is a maintenance of consciousness and a training method, and now we're past the flinching. We're no longer using the flinch anymore. We just have the rhetoric of using the flinch. And somehow the ego tripartite mind goes, well, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to flinch anyways uh, because some guy told me I'm going to flinch. And uh, just like I better learn how to power stroke because I won't be able to use my thumb uh, tip. No, none of that's true, and none of this is true either. Um, as we're... As we're 
what if we change the situation and we go if I, if under under stress I'm going to jump into a dynamic equilibrium base and cover up my head because it's a flinch and it's an uncontrolled response does that mean when I'm attacked from the rear I now guard from the front or does that mean when I'm attacked when the when the bad guy let's say I'm a law enforcement officer and the bad guy draws his handgun on me and it scares the crap out of me and I didn't see it come and it came out of nowhere. I'm going to go into this empty hand blocking movement instead of get on my pistol as fast as I can, get to cover. You see, this is crazy talk. But as you watch the demonstration, the demonstration feeds the scientism and it all makes sense to an ego tripartite mind. The, the, the non-ego tripartite mind would go, look, anything can happen under human v. human violence. Anything can happen. And so the last thing I want is an unconscious response that I'm not in control of and that I would do under stress regardless of what the opponent is doing. This is the position of pre-modern man. Modern, ego-tripartite-based, scientific man makes up these little situations. And really, it's just one ego-tripartite mind speaking to another ego-tripartite mind. But pre-modern man goes, man, you, anything could happen. What you need is a mind that can handle the infinite nature of human versus human violence. We'll get into that more because that, that's going to ultimately be my answer here. So far, we've talked about what is a fine motor skill. Second, what is a flinch? All right, now the third one in the question is, is Aikido fine motor skills? Well, the answer would be no. No, it's not. But the subscriber here went a little bit past that. And they called Aikido uh, pretty advanced techniques. And I imagine, because of the way the question is written, that that is a reflection back to fine motor skills. But we already answered, no, they're not fine motor skills because we don't, we're not pinching anything in, in Aikido. And from that point of view, I would say Aikido is very much a gross motor skill uh, system. An example of that would be um, there's we don't grab the person. And again, let's let's slow down a little bit. Um, I haven't yet defined Aikido, but I can, in most listeners. Uh, understanding when they say Aikido, they mean Aikido Kihon Waza, which you know from previous writings and podcasts, I do not define Aikido that way. But let's just take Aikido Kihon Waza. And in Aikido Kihon Waza, you, you don't grab the person. Uh, there are arts that where you, you grab, you, you move into that fine motor skill, that pincer movement with your digits. But in Aikido... That's always like taboo. Um, there's no need to grab the person. Um, if you can do the internal aspects, the Aiki adhesion is what generates the friction that an external understanding of the art 
has to grab. So we just did a video on this the other day. Um, it's going to be posted to the YouTube channel today, and, but it was posted already in the Facebook uh, Sension Center business page. And it's on Ediminage. And there's a small portion in there noting how a lot, a lot of uh, Aikidoka who are not doing the choreography, uh, not having the choreographed uke. So I, I always say you have to take that Aikido, that Aikido has to be off the table. That, that Aikido is so far not Aikido that it's not even worthy of consideration, okay? But in Aikido where Nage um, is the agent who brings Uke around in Irimi Nage, the Tenkan version, you often see them grab at Uke's gi. And that's a fine motor skill, that pinching of your grip, do you see? But the version I'm proposing in the video uses an Aiki adhesion where you do not grab uke. Um, you're basically energetically generating a friction point between your hand on their neck uh, and, the, and then using that friction point to generate the movement. So in that sense, a correct Aikido, it doesn't even do those grabs that are common to an external Aikido that at least has Nage as the agent for what happens to Uke's body, okay? So for those reasons, I would say uh, Aikido is very much not a fine motor art and very much a gross motor art. Um, as in other podcast episodes, I have said, if, if you can walk in the door, of the dojo, you can do Aikido. You can do everything. But again, that's from my point of view. You're, you're doing the art as is correctly understood. Um, some people might go, oh, I, I have a bad back. If, if your back was good enough that you walk from your car into the door, you can do Aikido Ukemi. What most people do for Ukemi, however, is not true Aikido Akemi. So that's where you have, uh, as I've said many times, Uke becomes very gymnastic in, in their receiving of techniques. So you'll have them like, they can bend backwards, you know, they can uh, almost put their shoulders on, on the ground uh, for, the, for the back break ball or things like that. Or, um, you know, they do these radical twisting movements um, they, they do these radical balancing movements, all that, all that gymnastic stuff is only possible from a broken center. And that broken center is only possible because Nage does not have the internal skills to unify Uke's mass. So when you walked in the door, you weren't, you weren't twisting and, and, perplexed by cross-lateral movement. Your, your center's in line with your shoulders, with your feet, with your balance, all that kind of stuff. And all you do in Aikido Kimi is maintain that same relationship. It's not easy, but that's all you do. So if walking in is not hurting you, then Ukemi should not hurting, 
should not be hurting you. If walking in is hurting you, then yes, you, you need to heal first. You won't be able to do Aikido Kemi. But in that sense, Aikido, even on the Uke side, is not gymnastic. It's very much gross motor skill. It's very much natural movement. And then the fourth part in the question I think I should address directly before answering it is, um, is to go ahead and, and define Aikido. Because here we have this contrast between Aikido and non-Aikido. And as I'm reading the question, I suspect that that is from the perspective of what I call tactical architectures, techniques. Again, going back many podcasts, and we, we have uh, blogs on the definition of Aikido. Uh, I think it is nothing but the ego tripartite's degeneration of the art to understand Aikido as its kihon waza. From other episodes, you know that this, as I've already mentioned, this is the age of the ego tripartite. This is the Kali Yuga, and it's very much related to, um, for example, our consumerism. How we're all being cultured to be good consumers. And so it, it goes back to uh, Kishimaru and his efforts to generate the federation and to create the myth of the founder to validate politically and economically the federation that he was going to run. And you have this jump from a practitioner, Morihei Ueshiba, whose goal, because he understood his practice as part of a perennial philosophy, whose goal was the transcendence of technique, he had all that washed away where just the persona of O-sensei was upheld and to justify the very antithesis of the transcendence of technique. You had actually uh, the turning of technique into a fetish, into a consumer fetish. When you do an archaeology of that Kihon Waza a la Michel Foucault, you, you, you're going to see how arbitrary those techniques are. Those techniques are. Why those as opposed to others? Who, <laughs> it's not going to be some um, ontological or uh, epistemological reasoning behind that. It's, it's going to be something really silly and stupid. You, you, can, you can see, for example, um, as, as that lineage has continued on this ego tripartite mind track, you can see how, because uh, what I'm talking about might be very, very subtle for some people. It might be very subtle uh, and it might be difficult for some people to see or to understand why I'm saying O-sensei's practice was about a transcendence of technique because they're not familiar with uh, the centuries of East Asian religious culture and history that preceded O-sensei and that he was uh, thoroughly ingrained in. So you might not know that. 
And if you're raised in a federation, you, 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 all you know is, is the technique as fetish. All you, that's all you know. Meaning you, you came into the art and to learn the art for you is to learn technique. And there's all kinds of consumer practices on, on where you are unconsciously led that way and controlled that way. So the rank system, you come in, what are we going to do? We're going to learn techniques. And the techniques correspond to a belt. And you put your, your good money towards that belt. And it corresponds to um, your status, your, your social status inside the dojo. And it just goes on and on. And when you, you go into your, uh, who is your teacher? Your teacher is the holder of the techniques, right? And who is their teacher? The holder of techniques. And so when you get to the to the a seminar, for example, um, you what do you do? You do more technique, right? But you have the word seminar, right? So like if you're in graduate school and you have a you have a seminar, it's not uh, it's not your your um, religious studies 101. It's not that we're not we're not going to uh, list a bunch of trivia and. Uh, things for you to memorize you when you get into a graduate school you're, you're going to start theorizing about your concepts that you're using you're not there to 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 memorize trivia but when you go to a seminar so an aikido seminar has the idea that this is somehow uh, uh, supplemental or even further along than your normal dojo training. But what do you do when you go to the seminar? You just do more dojo training, meaning you just do more technical training. So all that kind of makes us blind to what I'm kind of saying here. But one thing that's obvious to see is that uh, we have video of the founder and he's doing weapons work all the time. But as this federation system has moved forward in time, what has actually happened? Less and less schools do weapons work. Yet the founder is the founder, and the founder as the founder justifies everything about what we're doing, including not doing what the founder did. This is how the ego tripartite works. This is exactly how it works. This is, this is, this is why you get an era that pre-modern man would call the, the age of degeneration. Where nothing's working, where everything's backwards. Light is dark, evil is holy, up is down. You, you can see those phrases in the, uh, in the historical record. Okay, and we're in it. We're definitely in it. So you have to, I, I think anybody who understands Aikido as Kihon Waza is really the product of a modern consumer model. You, you've been a good boy. Not, not you, my Patreon subscriber here, but just your contemporary Aikidoka. You a good boy. You, you spend your money and you buy techniques. So we've, we have defined Aikido differently. And yesterday I posted a picture. 
of the entire rubric that goes into the way of Aikido spirituality, by which I mean Aikido's ultimate aims. Um, it's starting with its cosmology, going into its mythos, and then ending into its practice. And if you read that chart, you'll see that Aikido Waza is like a tiny, tiny, tiny part of that entire rubric. So just all the more reason not to define Aikido by its Kihon Waza. So in some podcasts and some blog entries, um, I have defined Aikido. And I'll just repeat those things here. Okay, so Aikido, there's three identifying marks to Aikido. They are the gaining of access to the God mind or the God consciousness or the second mind aspect. That's what puts it firmly in the historical manifestations of the perennial philosophy. It very much is that because the founder very much was that. Two, that it is this integration of the external and the internal, and most importantly, that those internal aspects are, are there, they're present. Those are defined as kokyu and aiki. Kokyu is a separating energy, aiki is a communing energy. But the engine, what makes it internal, the engine by which you either separate a body from your body or you adhere a body to your body, what makes it internal is that the attacker's energy is internalized into your body and it is rebounded back off of a superior mass, usually the earth and usually through your feet, and rebounded at values that either generate separation or generate adhesion, communion. So just by these two definitions, right now there is a third one. Uh, contemporary Aikido is not Aikido. It's Aikido only in name. And the third defining mark is Takamusa Aiki. And that, that is the transcendence of the technique. And again, if you look at contemporary Aikido, as we already just discussed, it's about the purchasing of technique. It's about seeing technique as fetish, talisman. It's, it's the, it, this contemporary Aikido is not Aikido. But in the three markers that I've given, I, I have no reference to tactical architectures. Well, here's the thing. How can contemporary Aikido that is doing the Federite Kihonwaza, how are they not Aikido? Because what makes something Aikido is how you're doing those techniques and toward what end. Well, that opens the door. 
that opens the door for the impossibility of non-Aikido elements. That opens the door for so-called non-Aikido elements to be Aikido. Just as these defining marks open the door for commonly understood Aikido elements to not be Aikido, the door is open for non-Aikido elements to actually be Aikido. So let's take, for example, some Balkan work. And as, and as Federite Aikido moves forward, as I said already, more and more, there's no Balkan work. There's no sword work in that art. But I can use the sword to gain access to the second mind. I can use the sword to both project and adhere to the opponent's sword. And I can use sword technique to transcend sword technique or sword training to transcend sword technique. And in that way, the Balkan can very much be Aikido. It's, it's not even necessary that the founder did it, which we know the founder did it. And it's irrelevant if modern Federite Aikido says, you don't, don't do the sword anymore. Those are all moot points. It might gain some weight for, the, for a listener who goes, well, the founder did it, so it makes sense. Or it might gain some weight to go, well, look, Shihonage is just like cutting. And again, I think if you're Shihonage is just like cutting, but not those, not holding within it those three marks that define the art, then both your Bulkan and your Shihonage are not Aikido. It has to be done a particular way. So many times in our, in our Bulkan videos or our Joe videos, uh, and in many blogs and passages I've written, look, Aikiken isn't Aikiken just because you do Aikido and uh, you're moving a wooden sword around. No, that's not Aikiken. Aikiken has Aiki in it, and Aiki is marked by an adhesion between the two weapons. If that adhesion is not visible, it's not there. So there's a heck of a lot of Aiki Ken in, in air quotes here that is not really Aiki Ken because there's a heck of a lot of Aikido, again, in air quotes, that is purely external. And at the weapons level, what you have is just sticks hitting sticks. That's all you have. And this kind of loose tie of the metaphor or the analogy, you see, cutting with the sword is like doing shihonage. That is ego tripartite mind superficiality. You're not, you're not going to do shihonage correctly because you do an, a boken cut incorrectly. It doesn't happen. The incorrectness is like a disease and it infiltrates the technique. It doesn't work the other way. Well, if I can, and I would, I would recommend that the listener um, check out one of the latest videos we did, again, on the business page, Sension Center on Facebook. It'll, it'll be loaded to the, um, to the YouTube channel, Sension One, today as well. But there's a video on there where we go from Iaido, which 
for many people, is not part of Aikido. It's an entirely different art, do you see? It's entirely different. You can see the ego tripartite mind, the dichotomous way of thinking, the compartmentalization of reality, the separation, the, the, the bondage to dichotomous thought. But in this video, we go from Iaido to sword cutting. It has to cut a certain way. You cannot cut all ways. Sword cutting in itself does not make it Aikido. So you'll see in the video that there is a kokyu projection that initiates the downward cut. That's the second defining element that I had, the internal aspect. That's a kokyu projection. That's an internal aspect separating energy. That separating energy is generated by the weight, the gravity, the inertia of the blade passing through my person and rebounding off a of superior mass, again, in this case, through my feet to the ground. That's what initiates the sword cut. From there, we go into Shihonage, and you can see there's two different ways at, at, at a minimum, but the, the difference here is right or wrong, or Aikido and non-Aikido. There's two different ways of doing Shihonage. One that has the internal component, and one that doesn't. So if I, if I bring back Balkan work, weapons work, Joe work into my curriculum, that stuff today is non-Aikido. But on the one hand, it was once, which means it can be. But from the point of view of what is true, it can be and it can also not be. It depends how you do it. Is it. Does it have those three markers of Aikido, yes or no? If it does, it can be. If it doesn't, it no, it's not. Again, both Aikido and non-Aikido can be non-Aikido. Both Aikido and non-Aikido can be Aikido. So likewise, just as you bring in weapons work back into your curriculum, if you're doing uh, newaza, if you're doing ground fighting, it depends how you do it. My ground, fight, my ground fighting training started in the 80s. And my experience is very similar to the experience that I have been sharing from within, for example, um, the Gracie lineage of BJJ. Those practitioners of that art are correctly identifying that for reasons of prioritizing competition, certain strategies and tactics have been modified and that they're no longer capable of addressing things like well, let's say this, addressing things outside of the competition framework. What are those things? Weapons, strikes, and larger opponents. So having trained in ground fighting since the 80s, I'll tell you, when I, when I started, um, and I'll just stick to the last one to keep it simple, the larger opponent thing. So as a jiu-jitsu, 
non-contestation is huge. That, that's the key mark of a jujitsu. It's non-contestation. Non-contestation is what allows you to not have to be stronger than your opponent. If you just mark for non-contestation in ground fighting, in jujitsu, from the 80s up till now, you will see that non-contestation is practiced less and less and less and less. Again, very much part of the Kali Yuga, of the dominance of the ego tripartite mind. It's very much because it's dichotomous, it's oppositional. And the idea of yielding or doing yin to a yang, no, that's the second mind. So as, we've, as, a, as the United States has moved more and more into Kali Yuga, into an era of the ego tripartite mind. Jiu-Jitsu Newaza has become more and more oppositional-based, more and more muscle-based. There's less non-contestation. And as a result, you, your performance envelope to perform the techniques over larger people is it's going down, down, down. Fewer and fewer, fewer people can do it. And you go into any school, anywhere, I don't care who, what it is, if the teacher is honest, they will know, man, especially if they've been training since the 80s, they will know that one of the hardest things for them to do is to get the beginner to stop forcing technique. So th this forcing of technique that is ubiquitous now, because we get here in our school, we get other people that train in, in BJJ schools. And they, they'll come here, and then we have a newaza element. And you're like, oh, you're just muscling everything. And again, in law enforcement, I train a lot of people that, are, that do BJJ. And it's the same thing, just muscling, muscling, muscling. And then I have friends that run other schools. It's, they, we, this, is a, this is a problem. Aikido people might not know it. But it is in an Aikido school, too. The Aikido school is the same problem. A lot of yang-yang clashing. It's a problem because this is Kali Yuga. This is the age of the ego tripartite mind. This is the age of dichotomous and opposition. So is that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? No, I would say no, it's not. It's the techniques. It, it, I can see it, that it is a kihon. But that is not non-contestation, and I would say that is not BJJ. And this is something similar to the, what you have the, being said in the Gracie patriarchs. They're right. They're right. So if I bring in the Bokken, and I, just because I call it Aikiken, but I don't see the Aiki adhesion, it's not. But if I bring in the Bokken and I do, you do see the Aiki adhesion, then it is. And it doesn't need some federation that's trying to get my money and trying to make a fetish of the curriculum that they are the suppliers of. It is Aikido. Well, likewise, if I do my Newaza a particular way, what way, those three ways, then it is Aikido. It's not not Aikido. The same would go for 
tactical architectures that are associated by the ego tripartite minds of today with boxing, kickboxing, knife fighting, etc., etc. Those are not, in and of themselves, non-Aikido elements. They're only non-Aikido elements from that ego tripartite mind consumer model. But anyone interested in that is not doing the first defining mark of Aikido, access to the God mind. That means the cessation of the ego tripartite mind. You're already wrong. You're already not doing Aikido, in other words. Now, that said, and, and to me, that's everything. But from the point of view of an ego tripartite mind, what do, what do we do here? They, they would look at us and go, you have all these non-Aikido elements. Of course, I look back at them and go, you, you're not doing Aikido. And I bring this up because the, the question goes, uh, it uses the phrase, in all areas of self-defense. And this, this takes us to another understanding of Aikido Kihonwaza, which I have said multiple times, but let me say it again. Not only is Aikido Kihonwaza not Aikido, like that, that's not the defining mark of the art, but Aikido Kihonwaza, when it comes to self-defense, when it comes to navigating for victory in human versus human violence. Aikido Kihonwaza, those tactical architectures are not all-encompassing. Moreover, they were not meant to be. They are, at best, encoded rituals. When you look at them as tactical architectures, they cover a very, very, very small portion of that infinite possibility, that infinite field of possibility that makes up human be human violence. This is why, even from a martial point of view, the transcendence of technique is important. This is why the sale of technique and the organizing of oneself around technique is just detrimental to the development of skill. And likewise, the marketing campaign of the scientific use of fine motor skills or weaponizing flinch is equally problematic because what pre-modern man saw as the solution to both stress and the infinite field of possibility that is human be human violence is transcendence. Transcendence both of technique, as in takamusyagi, the third defining element of the art, and transcendence of self, which is the first defining element of the art. This concept of transcendence of self goes way, 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 way back in warrior culture. And I'll, I'll give you some obvious ways uh, that are more popularly known. 
Um, there's many, many warrior cultures that actually uh, either ate or drank um, hallucinogenic, psychedelic drugs of one kind or another. Those, those, those things, those ingredients lead to a transcendence of self. You'll, you'll have those kind of dietary practices always associated with warrior culture, where you're trying to transcend the self. I'll give you other examples. Not, this is just an, an obvious one. Here you are, you're ingesting this thing so you, you get past your sense of self, okay? There would be rituals associated that would exist prior to combat. And those rituals would, would be geared through sound, through dance, uh, through music, through movement, through sex, through all, all kinds of human behaviors to generate a, uh, an ecstatic state. Ecstatic state means uh, a reconciliation of the subject-object dichotomy as it is experienced. So that is another way of transcending the self. You would have practices in various types of death contemplations or death meditations or death acceptance prior to combat. So you could either through ritual be associated with something that's already dead or someone who's already dead or death itself. Or you would through ritual, through contemplation, you would come to accept that you have already died. That, again, is a practice of transcending the self. And these various practices, these rituals, they would be grounded in, for example, a kind of mythos. And that mythos itself would, would do the same thing. So you would have, for example, in Viking culture, the use of destiny and fate and it being beyond your control is a way of transcending the self. Or coupled to that, when it is your time to go, if, if you die in the battle, you're going to go to this ultimate realm for warriors that died as such. Or you, you, could, you could fast forward all the way, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years later. When you get closer to the Budo historical lineage and you, you have this sense, right? The way of the samurai is the way of death. What, what would be the opposite of that, right? Well, you have a very, very strong sense of self. Or in language we've already been talking, your ego tripartite mind is functioning at full steam. What did warriors of the past notice when that is the case? You're just filled with fear. You are filled with fear. And what did they notice? Like Blower noticed in his spear system, but came up with some weird marketing campaign. There is a degradation to performance under stress. Stress manifests itself under fear. Fear manifests itself under self. What is the solution? Transcendence of self. The transcendent self does not feel fear, does not feel stress, does not have performance degradation.
does not have technique, is not fettered by technique. So for Budo, and again, we'll, we'll try to stay closer to home, but this is, this is the historical record of every single warrior tradition. The transcendence of self is the solution, not the weaponization of flinch, not gross motor skills, no. Transcendence of self. Aikido's right in there. That's the first defining mark of the art. But I mentioned that it is connected in the, in the sense that it is concentric with the transcendence of technique. In the same way that this is the era of technique as fetish, and it is supported by the ego tripartite mind, you can see how self-reifying that consumer model is. It's not that people just buy technique. There is a social and cultural capital goes with the purchasing of that technique. So if you pay attention to the Federate, the Federate mindset, before they actually shut up and listen or ask a sincere question, they, they have to meet certain criteria that go with that consumer model. So the, the, the Aikido they're watching, is it performed by a Japanese person or a non-Japanese person? Are they in my federation or not in my federation? Is their rank higher than me or lower than me? Are they male or female? Do they dress like me or not dress like me? You see, those, that's all the dichotomous mind thinking. So I, I cannot tell you, like, on, my, uh, on that business page. Again, hey, show me the video of you or your shihan doing the internal aspects or anyone else in the art of Aikido. No, no one. I, there was one, but it was actually a Tai Chi practitioner. And I pointed that out, and the poster said, whoops, sorry. And if you, if you look at of those nearly 8,000 followers, most of them hide from their lineage that they're actually following somebody who's not on that Federite checklist. Because I'm not Japanese. I'm not in their federation. I don't dress like them. The only thing I got is I'm male. But if you look, how do they interact with me versus how do they interact with their Japanese male shihan who can't even do the art? They say things to me they would never say to that Japanese male shihan, even though the skill's not there. And that's to tell you that, look, this is operating at a whole other level, a level of culture. But behind it is this deep, deep, functioning ego tripartite mind. If, if you, again, you can look at it from another point of view. The people that are interested in these podcasts, the videos we post, the internal aspects, all that kind of stuff, if you look at those people, 
they are not so suckered by the Federite Kihon Waza curriculum. They, or, they have some sense of transcendence behind it all. Some sense that that is correct. That is what's supposed to happen. But old warrior traditions, they not only had this transcendence of self, they always connected it to transcendence of technique because only the, only the self will make a fetish out of technique. Now, only the ego tripartite mind would do that. Which again, if you look at modern Aikido, where is the Takamusu Aiki that the founder upheld? It's nowhere. It is nowhere. Jiu means freedom. Jiu was a free technique. If you look at what is now Jiu Waza, if it is even practice, it's not Jiu, it's very prescribed. It's prescribed at every single structural level. Now, only the ego tripartite gets attached to technique in that way. But pre-modern man, pre-modern man, real warriors, even to this day, real warriors, go back to this, sometimes knowingly, but oftentimes it's by trial and error and it gets forced upon you. Uh, you have to address the stress degradation of technique by transcending the self and the transcendence of technique. So I gave you these, these easy to look up and intuit understandings of warrior traditions that looked and aimed towards the transcendence of self. If you want an easy to understand example of transcendence of technique and how it is related to transcendence of self, and something closer to home to Aikido is, uh, there's a book in English titled The Unfettered Mind by a Zen monk. Takon Soho. And he is talking to the fencing uh, master of a particular fencing school in Japan. They're writing letters back and forth to each other. I believe that book has three of those letters written by Takon. In particular, focus on the first letter. And that letter written, I believe, at the beginning of the 1600s, addresses the same problem that Blau identified but came to an entirely different answer in his spear system. So Blauer is saying, hey, your mind is going to be captured. You're going to go into this flinch stuff Let's just have all our techniques come from the flinch response. The pre-modern warrior would go, no, not, no, no, because that flinch response could be used against me. And you see this all the time in, again, so you have a, an easy to understand uh, and to research example. It, fakes and faints in boxing, in MMA, in judo. Those are all flinch responses. The, the entire uh, strategy of push-pull 
is a capitalization upon the ego tripartite mind. If I push on you, you're going to push on me. And because you're going to push on me, I can now use that energy uh, against you. And I can be ahead of it. I can anticipate your push. If I pull on you, you, you're going to pull on me. And I can anticipate that and I can use that against you. No warrior in their right mind is going to use and maintain a flinchability in themselves. Even in those, let's just keep this simple. Let's just stay in judo, okay? Even in judo, the person, the, the judoka that gets so juked, they always realize, God darn it, that, that is not the ideal. They held, hold themselves like, I should not be so juked like that. You'll see it in their faces. Damn. Oh. But even in, in judo, you have a, a greatly reduced, a great reduction of the field of infinite possibilities of human versus human violence. So, the, to, so to, to, to be so jukeable is even more detrimental if you're, let's say you're a law enforcement officer. Anything can happen. That's, that's where my example of, hey, uh, when you get startled, you don't want to go to the, into a, uh, a deeper stance with your hands guarded in your face if the appropriate response is get on your weapon, draw it, and start putting uh, metal on meat. In other words, you want to maintain your agency. And this takes us back to the pre-modern solution. How do you do that? Transcendence of self manifests in transcendence of technique. This is why the first mark of my definition of Aikido is the cessation of the ego tripartite mind. That's what gives that transcendence of self. That God mind manifests, that second mind aspect manifests. And the third defining mark is Takamusu Aiki, the transcendence of technique. So check out that, that first letter. The common English title is the unfettered mind. And you're going to see that this uh, Zen monk is talking to this fencing master. And he's talking about how the mind gets stuck on this technique or that technique. And that's what creates the opening. He doesn't land on, let's, let's use your, your stuck mind. Let's weaponize your stuck mind. <laughs> you, you can't do that. You can't do that, even in a limited field as judo with no grabs, no strikes, all kinds of illegal techniques and things like that. You definitely cannot do that in law enforcement. You cannot do that on the modern battlefield. But you can sell it, and there'll be people that buy it. How can, how can, you, sell, how can you sell the transcendence of self? How can you sell the transcendence of technique? You can't. That's why this truer understanding of the way of the warrior and of Aikido is going away. You can't sell it and you can't buy it. But this non-sellable, this non-purchasable transcendence of self is the tried and true method of dealing and the only way of dealing with performance degradation due to stress.
And I'll go one further. One, again, there's a lot of modern, current warrior traditions that know this. So like, for example, you'll have a selection school, whether it be the law enforcement academy or, or whether it be some tier one operator school in the military, and you will see them working, those, those, uh, those instructors working with the recruits along these same lines, identifying and loosening and weakening the connections between self-attachment and its ability to affect performance and to endure. So one of the things that they always mentioned, um, people that are successful at these schools you'll hear them say something like, uh, they, would, I would, they would have to drag my dead body out before I quit. Oh, that's weird. Because that's the same thing the Vikings said on the, on the battlefield. I'm already dead. My, de- my death's already planned. Or the warriors that did their death meditations. I'm actually a hungry ghost right now. There's already a death acceptance, do you see? Or in the instructors, you'll hear severe penalties for individuality. Which is, again, a reification of self. It's not just about teamwork. It's about the ability to reject one's comfort, one's salvation, the cessation of pain. It's those things that lead to the ability to function in a team. Which is why you could, ha- you could have people that have played team sports their whole life. But because they never had to reconcile the self, because they never had to transcend the self, under these conditions will be as if they have never been on a team before. Meaning, this transcendence of self is still part of viable warrior traditions today. But there's more that's often not talked about even in the contemporary warrior, valid, viable warrior traditions of today. That pre-modern warrior is new. And I would caution every single contemporary warrior to pay attention to this. A transcendent self does not experience the performance degradation because they do not experience the stress, because they do not experience the fear. There are other ways that you can not experience the fear. One way, and it has been used again throughout history, is rage. So again, some a, a popular example of this would be like the, and we'll stick to that culture. We'll stick to Viking culture, the berserker tradition. My karate teacher was a, a Vietnam War era Marine. And when we would enter into these talks, he was very much an advocate of rage. Use rage. Rage addresses the same performance degradation, but... What rage does not address is the ensuing, what we would today call 
PTSD. Rage almost amplifies it because rage is like a, a hyper self-reification. But viable past warrior traditions, people who fought, people who experienced the trauma of human versus human violence, took the what we would call the mental wellness aspect of self-transcendence and made with it what we would call a code, but that function to have that same transcendent self that did not degrade in its performance because it did not suffer stress, because it did not suffer fear, that same transcendent self did not experience trauma. For me, it is, it is true, I'm in law enforcement, and this is very much part and parcel of the functioning of my art, of my practice, to address with the repeated immersion into what we would call psychologically extreme toxic environments. If you, if you look at the profession of law enforcement, and many people might not know this, but the diseases associated with stress are way, way, way more amplified in the field of law enforcement. So your heart disease, heart attack, uh, diabetes, etc., all of those kind of things, but also suicide and other types of social behaviors, divorce, etc. They're through the roof. They're, they're, they're not in any way comparable to any other profession. I can't, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head but I believe that over the last several years, right, uh, suicide has been either more, more officers killed by suicide than feloniously murdered, or it's right around the same number. Again, if you step back and you take my presumption that we are in Kali Yuga, that we are in an age of the dominance of the ego tripartite mind. And you throw into that all of the related social behaviors, which some of which I already mentioned. That's how you get a commercialization of the, the reification of self and the fetishization of form. But you also get, and some, some things we've mentioned on the blogs and in the recommended readings and things like that, you, you, you get the prophetic manifestation of Nietzsche's nihilism. And with that nihilism comes a meaninglessness. And that meaninglessness has replaced in the warrior traditions codes, codes of behavior, which from a psychological point of view are ways of integrating and alleviating the trauma from repeatedly experiencing the toxic field of human v. human violence. Well, peace officers all over the country, that, that's who calls 911. It's never people calling and going, hey, it's our wedding anniversary. We wanted law enforcement to know that we're having a great time. That, that's not it. 
It's people who are in crisis, people who are at the lowest point of their lives. That's who calls 911. And the people who are dispatched to those lowest points of other people's lives are doing that multiple times a day, multiple times a week, for decades in a society that has a disease of nihilism disseminating across the country. So there, there is an urgency to re-implementing or re-understanding Budo's transcendence of self and why and how it actually fit in a warrior culture, which here we can just define as somebody going into a toxic environment to assist others. Now, as I was saying, that to me, that's, that's a huge part of my practice. The meaning, that's the big why. Okay, but many of us, most of us, let's just say all of us. Let, let, me, let me get there while I'm saying all of us. We might not all be law enforcement officers. We might not all be soldiers or tier one operators. But there is not one of us that does not, on a regular basis, enter into a toxic environment. And so there is not one of us that does not repeatedly expose ourselves to trauma. If we, if we look at the soldier or the law enforcement officer for PTSD, we, we might want to describe that as a kind of acute case, but there are chronic cases of this happening, and they happen from childhood on through the end of our lives. And that that seed for that trauma has the same performance degradation effect on us. So we, uh, we do things we, we'd rather not do, or we can't do things we'd rather do, or say things, or think things. Do you see? There's a performance to all of that. And in many ways, we are in a kind of flinch state in that I don't know why I said that or I don't know why I did that. I just did it. I don't know why I binge watched this episode, this show all night long, and now I, I don't, didn't get good sleep and now I'm at work the next day. I don't know why I got so hurt by what my spouse said and I just wanted to hurt them and I just said the worst thing to them and now we can't make up. It goes on and on and on, do you see? But with that too, there's this accumulated trauma that is happening. And again, from childhood on. And it's all compounded by 
the eager tripartite's production of nihilism right now, which gets socially spread out to where truth is invalidated, the family union is disintegrated, the mind and the body are split, and the mind is given preference and priority. We look for pills and medications for quick fixes. We turn our health over to scientists. We don't know the point of it at all anymore. Meaninglessness stabs at us. And that's the sea my trauma is happening in. It's adding to my trauma. How in the world are we not going to suffer that same mental disease that a soldier or a warrior or a peace officer might suffer acutely. We're going to. In that sense, Budo, an Aikido is a Budo. Budo, in its transcendence of self, and in the centralization of that transcendence as part of a code, we fortify ourselves. I would say both from the nihilism and from the PTSD of repeated entering into toxic environments where we suffer trauma, they are both put at a stay. And in many ways, that is more important. That is more important than what do I do if a guy throws a haymaker at me? <laughs> what a silly question. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R dot com. Or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.